morning. <coughs> Naya. All right. Did they tell you we were doing this to you? They didn't. No, I'm sorry. Guys, say hi to Naya. You can go sit back down. Uh, anytime somebody makes a commitment to follow the Lord, uh, we want to make an a acknowledgement of that. So Naya got baptized last night. She studied with Audrey and Bola. Uh, and I need to print more Baby Believers books. I got a note up here saying. So we will work on that this week. Uh, but you guys give her one more round of applause, please. And I just got to say, uh, Naya and and. The rest, like her, who have come to know the Lord since we came out here, you guys are the reasons we started this church. Uh, we planted this church in 2017, and, you know, you look around Collinsville and say, does Collinsville need another church? Okay, there's a lot of churches in Collinsville. The reason we plant churches is because new churches typically reached, uh, reach more people than, than existing churches. Churches that have been around for a long time have a way of plateauing in terms of their growth. After about 20 years, um, typically, some are, are, are outside of that uh, metric, but most are, are pretty typical. About 20 years in, you've plateaued. And then there's a slow decline after that 20th year. Uh, they have shown through study after study after study that kind of continues. Uh, what we are finding, though, with churches that are planting churches is there is a natural uh, energy and revitalization because there's this constant churn of leadership development and activity, and there's just a lot of good things happening. All that to say, I believe it is God's will and God's intention for churches to multiply. Just like it's God's intention and God's will for individuals to multiply, we're called to go out and make disciples, we're called to build the kingdom of God, we're called to share our faith as part of our purpose in life. And I believe that is applicable to our communities of faith in churches as well. So we believe here at the Crossings, God has called us not only to make disciples here in our community, but also to look out and to plant churches as we go along as we can. And so we are, over the next few years, going to be doing that. Across the river right now at the Crossings Church, St. Charles County, this week uh, there are cards that are going out, I believe either this week or next week, to the whole church which we've got uh, about 600 that attend over there. Uh, they're going out to their whole church, and, and there's three questions that are on this, these postcards. The question is, uh, I believe God is calling me to go on a church plant, uh, or statements, I should say, not questions. Second is, I believe God is calling me to stay and be part of this church. Thirdly, I believe God is calling me to do whatever the leaders would ask me to do, whether that is to go or stay. The whole church is getting those this week. The whole church is going to pray over those this week. They are going to answer those questions. They are going to turn those back into uh, the leaders. And then for uh, the next few weeks, there's going to be a series of interviews that take place uh, where for those that are interested in, in potentially going on that church plant that they're going to be sending out, they're going to be going in and interviewing and talking through uh, whether they should be on the team or not. They're going to be talking through the issues that they're dealing with. Um, and, and so that is happening right now. I tell you all that because they are putting a model forward that we will be following here in Collinsville. Uh, one of the things that, that we are hoping is in the next few years, we 
will be at a point where we can form a team that we can send out to start a new congregation in a new place. And we would like to get to the point where we can send out teams every two or three years, uh, where we have multiple church plants over time. So that's kind of the vision. And I just want to say, guys, the reason we are doing that is not to plant churches. It's to reach lost people. Amen? That's the reason. Church plants reach more lost people than non than existing churches. And so we have a heart for reaching lost people because we believe that's where Jesus's heart is. And so that's, that's our goal. Um, we're going to look at Acts 18 today. And as we look at Acts 18, and as we're thinking about uh, church planting, uh, I want us to look at Acts 18 through the lens of a church that's trying to learn how to plant churches, because that's what we're doing, okay? And so we're going to make some observations uh, that may seem a little silly, even uh, because they're so obvious, but there's a reason for that. I'll explain. Uh, but you've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at that are on there. Uh, it's going to have a spot for you to take some notes because we tend to remember things when we write, write them down a little bit better. Um, and I'm going to ask Mike to go ahead and read Acts 18.1, and that's going to start us today. After this, Paul left Athens and went on to Corinth. Okay, thank you. Um, it is right to follow the Spirit of God. Number one, because the Spirit can lead us to the right place. Because the Spirit can lead us to the right place. Now, we believe the Holy Spirit of God is the third member of the Trinity. You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All are God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a He. The Holy Spirit is not an ethereal object. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is the person of God. You can talk to the Holy Spirit just like you can talk to Jesus, just like you can talk to the Father. Uh, Jesus has a special relationship with the Father and the Spirit in that they are all one. When we talk about God being three in one, that's what we're talking about. They are all one. Uh, best explanation I have ever heard of the Trinity is it's like H2O, the Trinity. You got steam, you got ice, you got liquid, you got three forms, but it's all H2O. It's all water, right? Kind of the same with the Lord. You've got God, who's all God, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is given to the church to help lead us and help reveal things to us. It is very important that we be led by the Spirit. If we're going to plant churches of Jesus Christ, we need to follow his leading and planting those churches if they're going to do well. What we see in the book of Acts over and over is the church being led by the Spirit of God and encountering problems and then just dealing with problems. That's pretty much from, from chapter one. I mean, it's just problem after problem after problem. Guys, uh, as they are going through and, and, and making disciples and teaching people about Jesus, there's all this good stuff that's happening. There's all these people in Acts that are coming to know the Lord. But man, at the same time, you've got all this really good stuff happening. You've got people that are trying to kill it the whole time. You've got Satan that's active. You've got uh, Jewish leaders that don't like Jesus that are active. You've got the Romans that are active. Uh, you, you've got all kinds of, of, of opposition, but you still see them moving forward. The reason, guys, that the church was able to thrive in the first century despite all this opposition 
is precisely because they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit does not mean you're going to be without problems. It it means you're going to be equipped to deal with your problems as they come. Even really, really big problems. And uh, we see with, with Paul, we just looked a couple of weeks ago, he was supernaturally called to this certain region of the world. He goes there and he starts working. They start encountering issues, but God is continuing to work through them. And, 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 and he continues to lead them. Now, by the time you get to 18, he's, he's led to a place called Corinth. This is the place that the Spirit of God led Paul. Now, how does the Holy Spirit lead us in choosing the right place where he wants us to be in terms of what Paul was doing, which is starting uh, making disciples and starting churches? How did he know where to go? Well, there's, there's a few different ways, but for us, we can look at, first blank on your notes here, is through patterns in his word. If we're wanting to know how do we plant churches, if we, wanna, if we believe God has called the crossings to plant churches, we believe this is what God wants us to do, how do we know? Well, we need to look at his word to find patterns of what this looks like. Uh, the apostles followed Jesus and the example of Jesus in planting churches. How did Jesus start his ministry? How did it start? Well, initially, he goes out in the wilderness, spends time with the Lord, right? He's tempted by Satan. Uh, Then he goes and he is baptized by John the Baptist. Dove comes down, right? Um, Or excuse me, that was after his baptism. He was tempted. Uh, But the first thing he did after he came out of the wilderness, after that temptation, is he went and he spent time in prayer he spent the whole night praying to God because he was going to, the next day, select the men that would become the 12 apostles. And so the, the, the way that this starts, the ministry of Jesus, the way it starts is with the selection of faithful leaders. That's how it starts. Every single church that's planted in the New Testament has an identifiable leadership that's there. There is not a church in the New Testament or in the Bible that doesn't have identifiable leaders. This is very important. There needs to be identifiable leaders. Why do I say that? Well, the reason I even point that out is because it shows up in the Bible, but I'm saying this, guys, because there's a lot of church planting organizations that say you don't need this, okay? Um, You do. It's what's in Scripture. We see that there's faithful leaders every time. In addition to faithful leaders, there's also faithful followers, that are part of these groups. And when I say faithful followers, I don't just mean attenders. Uh, Whenever we read about Paul and and these early churches starting, guys, um, the, the guys that he was with, that were working with him, one thing we know for sure about them is, guys, they were super committed to the mission because we see Paul eliminating some who he didn't feel like were as committed. He didn't want them to travel with him. So he had faithful followers, not simply volunteers. These were committed followers, people that were committed to the mission. The size of the team doesn't seem to matter. Okay, it's faithfulness that matters. As little as two sometimes would go out and start a new church. But their, their commitment was super important. Um, they sent these teams to strategic places to make disciples. They would start often in a synagogue whenever they would go into a new place. Why? 
Because there's believers of God in the synagogue. And there's people that believe the Bible is the word of God in the synagogue. The Jewish people. So they would start there and go with the Jews. Eventually they got to where the Jews had rejected them so often that they, would just, they just started going to the Gentiles. But even then, they would go to strategic places like Corinth. What's Corinth? Well, Corinth was a big city in the first century. Uh, you've read the, the Ephesians. Okay, that was written to a Ephesus, Colossians, written to Colossae, Philippians, written to Philippi, uh, Thessalonians, written to Thessalonica. These are all major cities. Like the names of the New Testament letters, those are major cities. Why did they go to major cities? Because that's where the people were. Because that was culturally upstream. If I go into a major city where there's a university, where there's a business center, where there's a government center, and I start making disciples in a major city, what kind of influence is that going to have on the rest of the region? Profound. As opposed to what if I go to the countryside where nobody lives and nobody's important, right, and start making disciples out there, you're still going to make some disciples, but you're not going to have the cultural impact over time that you're going to have focusing strategically on those cities. And so we see a very intentional effort in the early church to strategically plant churches in very influential places, and we see the effect that that had over time. By the time you get to the third century, uh, you know, Christianity had taken off to the point that it was unhealthy. It had gotten so popular that people missed the point. Uh, strategic places, synagogues, cities, places culturally upstream, they also supervise. This is another thing we see in, in these early plants, guys. There was a supervision of the church plants that took place for the first few years. We see that with them. Uh, again, the reason the New Testament exists, it, it's letters that were written by apostles to churches often. Sometimes individuals thrown in there, but often it's churches. It's Paul or John uh, or, or James giving uh, advice to groups of people that they had been involved in, in helping nurture and, and foster. Uh, they are dealing with problems. There's accountability. There's, there's, uh, there's leadership that's ongoing. And it's from the, the aspect, you know, for Paul, he's appealing to his example. He's appealing to his relationship. He's appealing to the friendships that he has with the people. He's working with them like a spiritual father. It's not like a, hey, I'm the Pope. You know, listen to me because I hold this office. It's, hey, I'm your friend who loves you and told you about Jesus and I care about you. Listen to me. You know, that's more where he comes from. Um, and so we see these patterns throughout. We have a definite pattern of church planting in the Bible. Guys, when we are talking about our doing this, Everything we do, we need to take it back to the Bible and say, can I justify this? Can I, can I make a case for this based on what we see here? These are, the, these are the characteristics we see in Scripture. These are the characteristics that we want present in our church plants. Uh, the Spirit helps us choose the right place. Also, guys, through wisdom as we pray. Through wisdom as we pray. Uh, God says if you lack wisdom, in his word, James 1.5, you should pray. If you feel like you don't have it, ask God for it. Ask him to give it to you. There's this rhythm of prayer and seeking insight in God from Scripture that is super important. Guys, anytime Jesus was going to make a really big decision, he prayed about it. Anytime. 
We see that every single time he's, gonna, he's got something big coming. He is spending time in prayer to God about it. Wisdom means uh, we, just, we, we try to think like God does. We try to see the world like God does. Practically, wisdom means we think about our people as well and what we can accomplish and maybe what we would be good at, what we wouldn't be good at. The Crossings Church right now, as it stands, we do a pretty good job planting churches in the United States. We do all right. We know the culture. We know, uh, we know so, but guys, if we start getting out of the United States, we're going to struggle because we haven't learned. There's going to be some stuff that we have to learn. Uh, the way we get that wisdom, though, is through people that are doing it well. It would be unwise to go and try to learn how to do something we don't know how to do by somebody, from somebody else who isn't doing it very good, right? We, we want to go there. That would be stupid. We want to go find people that are doing it really well and learn from them, and that's how we grow in wisdom. Uh, anytime Jesus, like I said, was going to make a big decision, he spent a lot of time in prayer. Guys, as we are going through and thinking about planting churches, we need to be spending a lot of time in prayer. As we're thinking about where to go in the future, we need to spend time in prayer. As we're thinking about who should go, we need to spend a lot of time in prayer. Don't fall into the trap of making decisions based on convenience. Make decisions based on God's leading and faithfulness. I am so glad the early church leaders didn't make decisions based on convenience. Otherwise, none of us would be here, right? They followed the leading of God. Uh, the Spirit helps us choose the right place through wisdom as we pray. The Spirit helps us choose the right place through leaders as we follow. Through leaders as we follow. Again, the pattern we have in Scripture is every church had leadership. Guys, in some circles that I run in, leadership is like a bad word. Like, like God cannot fill you with a, a spirit of wisdom where you can lead another human being because he doesn't work like that. It's almost like the belief that's out there. That is, that is so silly when you look in Scripture. Over and over and over, you see God raising up men and women and, and giving them the ability to lead and bless others. Not because they're so special, just because that's how God made it work. Right? Uh, he, it's his idea. He set it up. We should not uh, think that leadership is a bad thing. Guys, there's a clear presence of leadership in the early church. And, and one of the things we see, too, is they clearly were not perfect. They clearly had issues. They made mistakes. When we read the New Testament, you know, Peter blew it repeatedly. Paul blew it sometimes. Like, all of them blew it sometimes. They made mistakes. They were, in, they were not perfect. They were fallible. I don't think anybody here expects any of our leaders to be perfect. And that's good, because we're not going to be, right? Um, but there's a difference between being imperfect and, and being uncommitted. And uh, the leaders we see in the, in the New Testament, guys, they were committed. They were committed to the Lord and they were committed to the people. And I think that's what we got to have. What happens, though, when you don't trust leadership in a church? Okay, if you are part of a church and you don't trust their leaders, you need to find a new church. And that could be your issue or it could be the leadership's issue, but if you don't trust your church leaders, you need to find a new church. If you don't trust the leadership here at the crossings, seriously, I'm not being mean. This isn't a good church for you. Because what's going to happen is uh, that will inevitably turn into division. 
Inevitably, that's just the way it works. You've got to have a church with leaders that you trust. That's the way God set it up. Uh, and the expectations that he places on those of us that serve in church leadership are high in terms of integrity and in terms of uh, being people that can be trusted. Like that's super duper important. The Spirit also helps us choose the right place through circumstances that seem obvious. Through circumstances that seem obvious. Uh, we see, you know, over and over as we read Acts, we see them running into people that turn out to be exactly who they needed to meet. Uh, we see, you know, God sending people to give messages like Ananias to Paul, you know, to explain the way of God to him and to then lead to what was going to become Paul's ministry. Uh, we see Peter uh, pouring into others. We see... Um, we see people in the right places at the right times in situations where God just arranged things. I believe in divine appointments. Uh, you know, I don't believe God just maps out our whole life uh, where we're little robots and we don't have free will or anything. I don't, believe any, I don't believe that, but I do believe God knows everything. I believe God sees everything, and I believe God loves people, and he can arrange things to make things happen sometimes in a way uh, that you know, maybe they just wouldn't happen on their own. For instance, when we were thinking about planting this church, uh, a building came available for $275,000, and it was a cruddy old building that had been vacant for quite some time. It used to be a movie theater. Um, and we decided... You know, it'd be nice to have that because uh, Lindenwood Belleville was going to be opening down here in Belleville and uh, SIUE's up the street. And we thought if we can plop a church in Collinsville between those two campuses, that would really work out well for us in terms of what we're wanting to do. And lo and behold, this building became available. And so we said, okay, well, what do we have in the budget? Uh, $275,000 building, what do we have in the budget for that? And we were about $275,000 short. Um, but we decided to pray about it. A couple in the community who had visited our church a few times and weren't even members of our church heard that we were maybe thinking about planting a church over here. And to make a long story short, they bought us this building and gave it to us out of their retirement money that they had been saving to build a dream home for themselves. We later studied the Bible with them and baptized them. Uh, but that's how we got this building. Now, Lindenwood Belleville decided that that was no longer going to be a thing after we got this building. We probably would have got another building, but uh, no, I'm just, I'm glad we're here, aren't you? How did this happen? Is it is because it we had $275,000 to buy this building? No. You want to know why that couple bought this building for us? Because they read about us in the newspaper. Helping the projects over in Wentzville. That's what they read about. They read about us in the newspaper and they gave us $275,000 to buy this building. We were able to plant this church because of that. Okay? Uh, that's God's providence. We've got a friend. Uh, you know, we have planted, we're, this is our fourth congregation here. Well, this is the third. We, our fourth one was in Columbia. We've got a fifth one that's going to be coming later um, that we're looking at getting a, getting a team together for from, from the Wentzville congregation. Uh, we have a, a group of friends in Tulsa 
that have planted a church that are uh, learning from us and being mentored from us. Uh, one of the things that we haven't told you guys yet is we've got a friend down in Florida named Donnie Dillon, and he's going to be planting a church in Gainesville. And we are going to be helping oversee uh, and help with some of that. Um, I know that's okay to announce because Robert said it on Sunday at their church. So it's been a secret. Uh, <laughs> so he blew it if uh, anybody asks. No, we're serious about that. A lot of you guys know Donnie. Uh, he was the campus minister down at uh, UF for years. We've taken vacations and stuff, taken a lot of our students down there to visit him. Um, there was a church up in Nashville. Donnie, you know, how's Donnie going to pay for this church plant down in Florida? We don't know. He contacts this church in Nashville, this big congregation that has, it's the North Boulevard Church of Christ. They've had uh, a whole bunch of money given in missions in the last few years, millions of dollars. Uh, I think one year they raised like $6 million. Um, Donnie contacted them and, and kind of told them what was going on. And uh, he was wondering if he could get supported for a church plant. And they said, well, we'll support you for your church plant, but only if you will be under the authority and oversight of this little group in St. Louis. I don't know if they knew he was already talking to us or not, uh, but anyway, that's, that's happening. This is all our CMU crowd uh, that are kind of going out and planting churches now. Um, so I'm excited. Man, there's some good stuff happening, but again, guys, this is just the providence of God. Now we've got a church plant here. We've got one down in Florida that's probably going to be funded for the first four years. You guys realize that's a big deal. They got a building down there in Gainesville this past week. Donnie got on the phone. There's a facility. It's $1,500 a week to rent. They're giving it to them for free. <laughs> Providence, man. How much is that monthly? 6,000 bucks a month. They're giving it to them for free, church. That's a big deal, man. I could give you more examples. I'm not going to. I could tell you stories about raising funds for things. I could tell you stories about all kinds of stuff where I've just seen God's providence over the years. Whenever you are on mission for the Lord, God has a way of coming through. I'm just telling you over and over, God opens doors and he makes a way. So for us, as we are thinking in the future about planting churches, we need to be praying through geographic locations. We need to be praying through uh, people and, and leaders, and we need to be developing as a community so that we can be healthy, so that we can help as many people as possible. Secondly, as we are led by the Spirit, the Spirit can connect us with the right people. So the Spirit can connect us to the right place, lead us to the right place. The Spirit can connect us with the right people. We see this happening in the life of Paul. It's in Corinth, verse 2. There, he met a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, for Emperor Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila, where are they from? They're from Rome. Uh, I think around 64 AD, Claudius got mad at the Jews in Rome because the Jews were troublemakers. They didn't believe in the Roman gods. They also ate a bunch of weird food and didn't want to hang out with others that didn't eat their food. And they were just annoying and nobody liked them. And so he just kicked them all out of the whole city. Kicked them out of the whole city. 
took their marketplace, they had their whole kosher marketplace, tore it down, threw it out. We like bacon, you know, uh, Gentiles. So the Jews, after several years, are then able to go back into Rome. Um, and now you've got Jewish Christians going in there. Well, they still, the Jewish Christians, they still just, they want to eat kosher. They still want to follow their holidays. Uh, they still want to do Jewish stuff. And it was okay for them to do that stuff. What was not okay was for them to say, hey, Gentiles, you have to do this stuff too, or you can't be a Christian. And that was a conflict. Um, Aquila and Priscilla are right in the middle of that. Okay? They are more than likely... Um, well, they were leaders in the early church. I wouldn't be surprised if they were part of the church planters in Rome. Uh, but we're going to see, if you keep studying the life of Paul after this, we're going to see that he meets Aquila and Priscilla. They are going to be such a blessing to him. Such a blessing to him. They're going to help his ministry. They're going to save his life one time. Now, he doesn't know that when he meets them. But here God is leading him into Corinth and he's going to connect him. The Spirit of God is going to connect Paul with the people that he needs to connect with to take those next steps. Aquila and Priscilla are super duper important to the life of Paul. They risked their life for him and they were willing to go as far as they needed to to serve this mission. Super important. Uh, Paul went to see them, verse 3, and stayed and worked with them because he earned his living by making tents just as they did. Did you guys know Paul was a small business owner? Not just a small business owner. He had a business that was successful enough to support him and his friends. They didn't need outside support. They were able to fund themselves with their business. And he connects with Aquila and Priscilla because they are fellow business owners. Okay? Uh, he held discussions in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to convince both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, there's Silas and Timothy. Who are they? These are Paul's boys. These are his mentorees, mentees. These are kids that he's coached and leaders he's coached now to the point where they are leaders themselves in the church. When they arrive, they're able to take on a lot of the day-to-day -day tasks from Paul where Paul can now focus on what he really needs to focus on, which is uh, preaching. So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul gave his whole time to preaching the message, testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they opposed him and said evil things about him, he protested by shaking the dust from his clothes and saying to them, if you're lost, you yourselves must take the blame for it. I'm not responsible. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So he left them and he went to live in the house of a Gentile named Titius Justus who worshiped God. His house was next to the synagogue. If you're looking for a good name for a dog, Titius Justus. There you go. Um, this guy was a Gentile, but he was a God-fearer. Now Paul had just gotten really discouraged because the Jews came and were mean to him. And so uh, he makes a scene and shakes out his clothes and says, I'm done with you. He's not really done with them. Um, this is the second time he said this in Acts. He's still messing with him. Uh, anyway, he gets discouraged, right? But then there's this Titius Justice guy who's a God-fearer, who probably is pretty influential, has a house next to the synagogue, and what we're going to see is he's going to be a positive influence moving forward. Now, guys, Paul was a talented guy. He was smart. 
he had a PhD. Uh, he studied under Gamaliel. He was a Roman citizen. He was a businessman. He was kind of wealthy, I think. Uh, man, he's, he's like could take a beating. Uh, there were some really good things about Paul, but there was some stuff about Paul that really wasn't very good, just like all of us. And what's amazing to me is how much Paul accomplished But what's equally as amazing to me is how much Paul would not have accomplished if he had not been surrounded by companions. You guys realize, whenever we're reading about Paul, you may, in the narrative, forget that he's not alone as we're reading these stories about him. He is with a crew. Just like Jesus was with a crew when he was going around doing his ministry, Paul was with a crew. Now, sometimes the crew was small. Sometimes it was just a partner. But Paul was not by himself. Ministry is not meant to be done solo all the time, right? Uh, Especially when you're talking about making disciples and church planting, we need a team. This is a team sport. This is not a solo solo venture. This is a team sport. And we need one another. Paul needed these people. Super duper important to understand. God gave him this mission, but God did not expect Paul to carry out this mission by himself. He had companions. Thirdly, the Spirit can discipline us with the right problems. The Spirit can discipline us with the right problems. It says in uh, verse 6, when they opposed him and said evil things about him, he protested by shaking the dust from his clothes and saying, if you're lost, You yourselves must take the blame for it. I'm not responsible. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So he left them and went to live in the house, went to live in the house of a Gentile named Titius Justus who worshiped God. His house was next to the synagogue. Now here's what's interesting. Crispus, verse eight, who was the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his family and many other people in Corinth heard the message, believed, and were baptized. Now that's hilarious. Paul gets mad at the Jews, shakes his clothes out, I'm done with you, and leaves. And then the synagogue leader decides to become a Christian. Guess he's not synagogue leader anymore. Matter of fact, I know he's not, because a little bit later it says who it is, and it's not him. And there's a funny story. If you don't know what it is, you should keep reading. Um, this This is neat that this happens like this. This guy, who's a Gentile, I think probably has something to do, Titius Justice has something to do with reaching Crispus. He lives next to the synagogue. We don't know for sure, but I would not be surprised. Paul, though, is is experiencing discouragement in the middle of this. He gets angry. He gets upset. He shakes out his clothes. He yells. He tells them he's done messing around with them. Uh, You got to understand about problems. A couple of things can happen. First of all, problems can discourage me. That's what we see from Paul initially here is, is he gets discouraged. That's when he reacts emotionally, tells him he's done with him. Uh, he, he leaves. Um, problems can make me want to give up. Anybody in here ever feel like giving up? You ever, you ever just have such a stressful week? Like it seems like sometimes problems come in, 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 in groups. You know, you don't just have one thing. It's like they come in groups and you just want to give up, you know, uh, sometimes in ministry, things can get so hard 
whenever you are dealing with situation after situation and crisis after crisis, especially for those in leadership, it can get very emotionally draining where you just kind of want to stop. You just want to be done, right? It's a constant crisis. You need encouragement. Everybody's going to go through seasons like that. You're going to go through seasons like that with your kids, with your family, with, with your spouse, with your job. Like, there's going to be times where you get really, really discouraged and you need some encouragement. And guys, problems are going to be at the middle of that sometimes. You need to understand it is natural to feel discouraged when you're dealing with a bunch of problems. But you want to know what else problems can do for you? Problems can discourage you. Problems can also encourage you. They can encourage you. Uh, the first church plant, the first church plants outside of Jerusalem occurred as a direct result of problems. Now, God had told the church, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. But then they got together in Jerusalem and didn't want to leave. And then this persecution breaks out in Jerusalem in Acts 8. That's when the message spreads and goes and moves. It says in verse 4 of uh, Acts 8, all those who had been scattered by the persecution moved from place to place, and wherever they went, they weren't afraid or silent. Instead, they spread the message of Jesus. Guys, we've got to understand from our story in Acts, the, the story of the church is not the story of a group of people that didn't have problems. Acts is the story of Satan throwing everything he can at the early church, trying to derail what was happening in the world. And it's the early church overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. And we see as they overcome these problems, as they learn to lean into their relationship with God that much more, that's because problems should develop me. Problems should develop me. And why do I say that? I say that because Hebrews 12 says to endure hardship is discipline. Just stop right there. Endure hardship is discipline. And we look at this passage sometimes, but we don't always look at this part. <laughs> um, endure hardship is discipline. What hardship? All hardship. What? Is this one of those commands that just makes you angry? No, I'm serious, because some of us in here, we have stuff that's happened to us in life where it's super-duper emotional. I was molested when I was a kid. You think that's a hardship? Endure hardship as discipline? You mean to tell me that that's a good thing? That it happened? No. No. That it happened? No. But can good come from it? And here's the head twist, okay? This is difficult. But it is true. Whatever hardship you have faced, can good come from it? The answer is yes. A resounding yes. A resounding yes. You can't control what happened to you. You can control how you react to it. You didn't have a say in what they did to you, you do have a say in how you respond to it. 
You can take a, a, a tragedy and you can use it as an excuse to use the rest of your life and waste your life because you're hurt. And now you have a reason to drink yourself to death or to snort yourself to death or whatever it is. Okay? That's a choice. You may not have chosen the thing that makes you want to do that to deal with your issues, but you do choose how you re react. You choose whether you act on that or not. You choose whether you're going to be a blessing or a curse to the people around you based on your response. Guys, life, the, the great test of life is not uh, how, how you deal with life when everything is great. Any of us can deal with life in a healthy way when everything is great and everything's going our way. But guys, the real test in life is how do you deal with life when life is horrible and you don't want to live it? How do you deal then? And guys, that's, that's the test. And what we see over and over in Acts, guys, is we see these, it is so easy just to read over this stuff and, and to emotionally disconnect. But when, when I read that Paul went into a city and that he spoke the word of God to these people and these people got so mad that they drug him out of the city and threw him down in the hole and then they picked up rocks as big as they could hold and threw them on him as hard as they could trying to kill him. And he laid in that hole until his friends came and the mob left and they were able to get him back up to his feet. And instead of leaving, he goes back into the city where the people were that hit him with rocks. And he continues doing what he would been doing that led to him getting hit with rocks to begin with. Like that's like, okay. That's crazy. But the mentality that all hardship is an opportunity for growth, all hardship is an opportunity for development. Endure hardship as discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Because it's just the whole idea that we can come out stronger whenever we endure all hardship as discipline. I'll be honest, guys. I have a hard time with my attitude when I encounter hardship. Some of you guys, if you've spent any time with me, you've seen me get frustrated. If you were here last Sunday, you saw me get frustrated when we couldn't get stuff to work right in this fall spectacular. Like, I'm just, I, I go there easy. And so, for me to look at this, it's super challenging. Super challenging. But it's the example that we have. And guys, there were so many bad situations that this guy got into. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.9, uh, Paul is writing, recounting one of these many instances where they were in danger. And he says, in fact, we expected to die. Look at this. We expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. He's recounting a situation that he was in. Now, let me tell you something. If I asked Paul, Paul, in that situation, if you could rewind time and take that situation away, would you do it? What would Paul say? Of course he wouldn't. Because it was through that hard stuff that he what? He learned to rely on God. He learned to trust God alone. He learned to be willing to let God be in control of his very 
life, whether he takes another breath or not. He expected to not take another breath, and he was okay with that. Because he had come to the conclusion that God's in control, and that's okay. Guys, I still struggle with this. And I want to think, like, if I got into a situation where I had to make these decisions, I hope I would make the right decision. But it's a hope. I don't know. Because this is a battle. And and I struggle with this. Right? But we're either going to be disabled or we're going to be developed by our problems. And the presence of problems does not signify the absence of God. In fact, the opposite. Guys, what is the book of Acts if it's not just a catalog of problems that the church had to deal with? Seriously, is there a chapter that we have read where they are not encountering some major problem? Can you think of one? When something really good happens, then there's like opposition immediately. Every single chapter is just problem after problem after problem. Guys, we have got to be a people that can get to a point where we trust God so deeply, it does not matter what the world throws at us, we're going to be okay because our faith is right there with us. And we know God's in control and we don't have anything to fear. One of the things that gives us assurance of that is the fact that we serve a God who loves us enough to die for us. We talk a lot about the cross here at the crossings because Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins. He asked us to remember his suffering weekly uh, because I believe he wants us to know uh, how much he loves us because he, he sacrificed for us. What else could he do other than, than make himself a man and come here and, and do what he did? All of that, guys, was just to show us that, that he cares and he understands, that he's willing to sacrifice Guys, he will give up everything he can in order to be close to us and for us to be close to him. Uh, He makes a way for us to have our sins forgiven by dying on the cross for us. He takes our sins onto himself. He says, if you will give up your life and follow me, I'll forgive your sin. I'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll teach you how to be the best person you can be, to live the life you were created to live. And, uh, And that's the life that he has available for all of us. And guys, we get to live here the way we were designed to. When we die, we get to be with God forever in heaven uh, where he's going to take all this garbage that this world throws us, he's taking it away. He's fixing it. And things are going to function the way they're supposed to. Our job between now and then is to be faithful. And it's to teach others to be faithful. And it's to bring a little bit of heaven to earth as we live in a way that Jesus says to live. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to pass communion elements Uh, There's some juice and a cracker. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross. The cracker represents his body that was broken. We want to remember as we take communion, we serve a God who allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled. We need to think about that as we think about how he loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the cross As we think about your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled, help us to emotionally connect with that sacrifice. God, and to make uh, any changes we need to make in order to honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, communion reminds us uh, 
God loves you right where you are. You know, I don't know what you might be struggling with today. Uh, I felt like for a long time, God was distant from me because I struggled with drug addiction and just a lot of stuff for a long time before I became a Christian. And uh, don't be afraid to just start right where you are if you're struggling with something today because God will meet you there. But you need to understand He loves you too much to leave you there. And what God wants to do in your life when you start working with Him and, and following Him is He wants to help you grow and develop. And, uh, and so there's always Him present in that, but there's always people present in that too. That's another pattern that we 